Short disclaimer. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the Stars production or Diana Gabaldon. All views expressed are solely our own. Welcome to the Outlander podcast, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Welcome to episode 129 of the Outlander podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Summer, and we are in love with all things Outlander. So because we now have a, an official timeline of how many days, weeks, our belts, ladies and gentlemen, minutes, moments we have to finish our read-along before season and two begins. And have time for a few other things. Point being, because we now have a timeline. Thank you, um, This week, we will be doing two chapters in our read-along. We will be discussing chapter 40, which is entitled The Fox's Lair, and chapter 41, The Seer's Curse. So I hope you all read two chapters, because here we go. So again, starting with chapter 40, The Fox's Lair. En route from Edinburgh to Beaufort Castle. Jamie does not have much of an idea of his grandfather. He tells Claire, I've heard he acts like a terrible old monster, but you shouldn't be scared of him, and tells her that he'll be with her. Claire replies that crusty old men don't bother her. She says most of them are, quote, soft as butter, unquote. Jamie corrects her by saying he actually is a terrible old monster, <laughs> and she mustn't act scared of him because that makes him worse. Susan M. writes, Love the conversation between Jamie and Claire regarding his grandfather on the way to the castle. I think Claire speaks for all of us when she's like, I can handle an old man. And Jamie corrects everyone when he says, no, he's really that awful. <laughs> Ellen G. writes, I guess Claire knew about crusty old men because of her uncle. And I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, obviously it's a possibility. It's an interesting um, observation. I never thought about her uncle Lamb, but I mean, he could have been. He could have been funky. I don't think he was necessarily crusty, but we don't know. We don't know much about him. We need that. We need that story too. Okay, Diana, get on that. So during this conversation, they're both trying to avoid being the next meal of a deer fly. Claire freaks out, and her horse is startled by her movement. He does some pretty impressive horsemanship, Jamie does, to bring her horse back under control. But then a deer fly ends up biting Jamie on the neck. He lets out a Gaelic shriek and his horse flees, Jamie hanging on for dear life. Murta brings up the rear with a pack horse. He mentions that it's late for deer flies. Now, do you think he's late in the day or late in the year? Like, probably in the year. It's probably a... Well, it's like what usually mosquitoes, there's a season for mosquitoes. It's usually... Mm -hmm. Later, like, you know, spring and summer. Mm -hmm. You don't normally see mosquitoes in winter. in winter. Myrta tells Claire that the old fox will want to eat Jamie's liver, not hers. Basically, they're on no terms at all. They've never even spoken. Myrta rides ahead to Beaufort Castle with the pack horse, and Jamie and Claire continue on alone. Simon had not blessed Brian's union, with Jamie's mother, we find out, nor had he communicated with them after the marriage had taken place. 
Brian didn't have much good to say of his father. Jamie also is now wearing a new military-style kilt for the occasion. Uh, and that is the occasion of meeting his grandsire and presenting as, as good a... Was he not wearing that the entire time he was with the prince? No, this is a new one. Claire makes mention of it that it's new to him, or at least new that he's now wearing it. Lisa T. writes, Continuing on the theme of family, specifically fatherhood, Jamie goes on to tell Claire about his own father and his own thoughts about being a father himself. He wonders whether Brian was the sort of father he was because of the way he was treated by Simon. He knew from what he learned from Murta and the little Brian had told him that they were indeed nothing alike. <laughs> I just thought you meant like little Brian. Like he's little. Oh, no. I don't think Brian was that little. I don't think he was either, but that's... When she wonders aloud if they'll have more children, Jamie says, quote, I know it, Sassenach, and so do you. You were meant to be a mother, and I surely didn't intend to let anyone else bother your children, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> Apparently, Jamie had met his grandfather once before, when his father had accompanied him to the ship to France. Now that's a quote-unquote met, right? Yes, okay. yes, seen him, uh, or made eye contact with him, I guess, from far away. It was at the harbor at Bewley. While waiting, a small party came down from the castle carrying the Levitt's banner. So they knew that he was there. Jamie boarded the boat with his father, knowing the eyes of his grandfather were on them. And after they said their goodbye, Brian left the boat, mounted his horse, looked back, and then left for Lallybroch. So too did Lovett turn and leave, neither of them looking at the other. But Jamie had looked at Lovett once after his father had turned away, and their eyes met. He tells Claire he looked, quote, cold as stone, unquote. After Jamie had gotten his orders from Charles, he'd arranged to have the men of Lallybroch drop away from the Highland army as they traveled. Does anyone else, and by anyone else, I guess I mean you, because you're the only one here with me. <laughs> Do you think it's strange that he has these solid opinions of someone he's never met based on basically stories told to him by somebody else? He Isn't he normally the type of person who like... Waits for evidence? Yeah. I think normally. These stories must have just been that bad. Or maybe it was because it's personal. Wait, the coldest stone part? No, all of his things. That every his every yeah, every like negative story he every negative thing he said about him is all based on other people's stories. None of them they're not personal um interactions that he's mm. had. He has no real justification for any of his feelings about him yet. I mean, I'm sure they're all going to prove true, but generally, Jamie's the type of person who... Jamie's usually kind of level-headed. Well, he's level-headed, and he, he's kind of like, well, you know, I'm going to find let's out. Be fair. Let, let's, yeah. you know, let this person prove or disprove these on their own. I'm going to, you know, be open to it. Diana writes, quote, In the course of one day's movement, the men of Lallybrock were to drop away one by one, unquote. They were not to return to the main body of the army and then rendezvous with others from Lallybrock to make their way home. Jamie's thinking is that desertion is already happening and there is no one to spare to go after other deserters. Even though the prince has twice as many men as he did at Preston, and though he hasn't lost a battle yet, Jamie is still wont to have his own men accompany Charles South, especially without him there to lead them, 
So the Lallybroch men, including Fergus, were to desert, and after Jamie and Claire were done at Bewley, they'd go back to Charles and see what was to happen then. Myrta, he says, would be sent to Lallybroch to get them again if everything looked like it was going all right. We learn that Myrta isn't a huge fan of Lovitz, that he's related to Primrose Campbell, the third wife of Simon Fraser. Apparently, Simon has had a lot of wives. He was known for forcing women into marriage. Claire makes a comment that he must have been pretty good in bed and it must run in the family, and Jamie is shocked. <laughs> Sassana! Simon was also forced to flee to France after becoming an outlaw when his, one of his wife's maids spoke against him. Diana points out to us that forced marriage and outlawry seemed to also run in the family. Lisa T. writes, There are some undeniable parallels between Jamie's life and his grandfather and their histories with the Jacobites. Simon had then gone to Rome to visit King James to swear fealty to the Stuarts. James promised a title and estates should a restoration come about. And... Then Simon went to William of Orange, King of England, in France, and got a full pardon regarding his outlawry and came back to Scotland. Simon returned again to France to spy on the Jacobites, was discovered, thrown into prison, sent back to Scotland, quote, masterminded the assembling of the clans under the guise of a hunting party on the Braes of Mar in 1715, and then managed to get full credit with the English crown for putting down the resultant rising. Unquote. And of course that would be <clears throat> and of course that would be the seventeen fifteen Jacobite rising. Gracious, that's a lot of wheeling and dealing this guy did. And it sounds so much like thank God Jamie didn't get caught, but it sounds like so much Jamie did when he was in France. All the spying and the trying to oh my gosh. Too so many parallels. Well he's and we only know him as an old man and he's a jerk as an old man. He may have been very smooth tongued. And he may have been very attractive as a younger man, even though he did steal women and force marriages and do all of those kinds of things. Those He may have been a very smooth-talking, not, not, clearly not gallant. I'm not going to say he was gallant. But, you know, he had some skills, whatever they may be, that aided him in being able to do all of these ridiculous things. Like, I'm sure most people wouldn't be able to have done all of those things. But this is all factual, correct? This is all historical. This is a historical figure. Yes, he is a, a historical figure. Claire calls him a, quote, proper old twister. Then Simon married Margaret Grant, and when she died, married Primrose Campbell. He tricked her into marriage as well, sent a letter saying her mother was ill and telling her where to go to see her mother, I presume. Of course, she went, but found Fraser instead, who told her she was in a brothel and he would ruin her rep if she didn't marry him on the spot. Does anyone else find that strange? That she was that stupid? I don't say naive. Stupid. Naive, gullible. I mean, was I'm trying to imagine a circumstance in which a young woman would not have been with her family in the first place. It's possible. Maybe she had no dad. The well, dad was probably dead. Maybe dead. But they said that her mother was sick. And if her mother was sick, would she not have been with her mother? Wouldn't other people have known? Well, not only that, but young women, they weren't sent off to foster like young boys Men. were. Yeah, so that's true. I can't think of a single reason why she would have been separated from her mother in the first place until she was married. And that being said... I could not fathom a reason why she wouldn't have already known that her mother was sick. She could have been visiting friends or visiting family. And he was just like timing it really, really well. And she's real naive to not recognize that she was walking into a house of ill repute. Come it could on. have been really nice. They could be really nice outside. No, I'm, I'm serious. 
It could be for a high class people because she wouldn't have gone into something that was dilapidated. It probably was really high class. Jamie tells her that his father was a bastard by one of the downy maids. And is that like a downstairs maid? No, that was like, I'm guessing her last name. Oh, okay. Of course, Claire doesn't care, but Jamie really does. And it really is important and not so hot to Jamie. It stings him because he, his sense of honor is so high, so true. So great. Yeah, and and for him, it pains him that he's sorry. Not he's he's not a bastard. It pains him that his father was a bastard. He doesn't. I don't think he loved his father any less. But it is something that he carries. It definitely affects him still. Yeah. And Claire's like, it's really okay. And he's like, uh, well, <laughs> I'm glad you're with me. But <laughs> well, Claire doesn't care. As, I, know. I mean, it's like she, where the time period she's from. She's just like, I don't. Who cares? Well, the time period well, she's from, it's still a big deal, but not as big a deal as it would have been in the, in the 18th century. Susan M. writes, It's so interesting that Jamie seems to need to apologize to Claire when he tells her his father was a bastard, since his father's mother was a maid in the castle. He must think it might affect how she, Claire, feels about him. And of course it doesn't. As they approach the castle, Claire sees that they were expected, kilted, Axe-armed sentries waiting at the gate didn't make a move to stop them. After they get in, Claire murmurs, now what? Diana reminds us of another arrival two years before. Quote, there was no sign of Chatelain or Major Domo, nothing like the cheery, authoritative figure of Mrs. Fitzgibbons that had welcomed us to Casa Leah two years before. Unquote. Oh boy. Early days. Outlander. Book one. Outlander season one. Mrs. Fitz. We're never going to see her again. I'm like, we're not going to see her, are we? LNG writes, So now we know that Brian was not a direct descendant of Lord Lovett's. Well, his mother was not one of his wives. And their welcome was a little off, you can say. Nothing like Mrs. Fitz coming at them two years before. (laughs) Claire is hungry and dirty, and Jamie agrees with the latter, (laughs) but likes that she has teasel heads in her hair. Is this like dandelions? I kind of, I looked it up. So he says, it looks bonny. Now, I had to look it up, of course, Teaselheads, and I found it's, quote, Dipsacus, a genus of flowering plant in the family Caprifoliaceae. What did it look like? Did you see a picture? I, uh, they had, yeah. There's and a picture on the thing. Does it look it like It looks like, you know what it actually looks like? No. It actually looks like mini thistles. Uh, I don't, it's not a thistle. Well, it may, it may have a... Similar like little birds. Well, teasel is close to thistle. I mean, it has a T and an S and an L, and linguistically speaking, that's close. But I don't think it's the same. It may not be the same family. I didn't look that far. So the members of this genus are known as teasel, teasel, or teasel. There's <laughs> there three, are three, three spellings that are pronounced the same. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing. The genus includes about 15 species of tall, herbaceous, biennial plants, rarely short-lived perennial plants growing about 1 to 2.5 meters. That's 3.3 to 8.2 feet tall. Dipsacus are native to Europe, Asia, and Northern Africa. And we will include a link to that. Claire lays out the situation aptly. While Lovett had a duty to at least welcome or meet the prince's representative, Jamie, for the very least as courtesy, Jamie was also a bastard who wasn't a member of the family. Claire goes over the possibilities of their reception— Lady Frances, one of Jamie's aunts, who managed the domestic affairs for her father, or it could be Lovett himself. Finally, we meet Lovett. Quote, a squat-bodied elderly man in open shirt and unbuckled breeks stepped 
out into the courtyard, shoving aside a plump chestnut mare with a sharp elbow and an irritable cha. Despite his age, he had a back like a ramrod and shoulders nearly as broad as Jamie's. Unquote. Doesn't that sound like a bit of a creeper? His pants unbuckled and open shirt? That's nasty. I mean, all he needs is a gold chain. Oh, Lord. Maybe some paint cans. And like strutting down to staying alive. Tons of chest hair. God, I hope not. Uh, yeah. He goes to Claire. The hairless might be worse. Oh, Lord. Hairless and greasy. Oh, some. With a gold chain. He goes to Claire and asks her who the hell she is. She replies using her name and then her title and asks him the same. Jamie answers for him. That, Sassanak, is my grandsire, unquote. That's Claire, foot and mouth syndrome. Levitt goes after Jamie for marrying an Englishwoman, and Jamie comes back by saying at least he didn't have to use rape or trickery. Claire says she thinks she sees the corner of his mouth twitch, so this is definitely a Fraser feature, it would seem. When Levitt insults Claire by saying that at least she didn't cost him much, taking in her torn, stained garment, she's not sure Jamie is angry or laughing. Claire replies... Thanks. I don't need much either, but I could use a bit of a wash. Just water. Don't bother about the soap if it comes too dear, unquote. And then she does see the twitch. Lovett says they'll be seen to their rooms with a bath. They were introduced a bit later to the people gathered in the library. All were courteous to Claire except young Simon. He jokes that he can call her niece and then won't let go of her hand once their introduction is actually complete. He tells her she's a bit of a fame in the Highlands. His hand is tightening on hers. He tells her he's heard she's popular with men in Jamie's command, that she's called, insert Gaelic phrase here, Mistress Honeylips. You know, Claire is generally on it. No, she's... Mm. She's generally... She is body to the degree that she should have caught on right away when he that said... something was going that, on. Yeah, and when he said that it meant Honeylips, that it could not have meant what she tried to pretend she thought it meant. Come on. Come on. So Jamie punches him in the jaw. And Jamie says that, no, Claire doesn't have much Gaelic, and he will apologize before he kicks his teeth down his throat. He gets up and apologizes to Claire. Jamie then takes Claire out of the room and tells her that it indeed does mean honey lips, but not the ones on her mouth. Lisa T. writes, At this point, both of the foxes have sexually insulted Claire as a means to test Jamie. So Claire is left with Lady Frances. The latter had never met an Englishwoman before. They are getting all homey, finally, when a crash out in the hallway brings them out. A tall, thin woman is on the floor, Lovett standing over her. He says, quote, You'll get worse than that, my lass, and you make no better job of it, unquote. She has a red mark on her cheekbone. That night in their chamber, Jamie tells her, Claire, not the woman who was on the floor, <laughs> of the library. He told them about Charles' plans, the state of the army, the conditions of the troops, etc. Several times. Lovett wouldn't commit himself one way or the other until he thought he knew where Jamie stood. So Jamie says he has a seer, and that's how he plans to know where Jamie stands. This is Lovett, of course. That had been who the tall, thin woman she'd seen in the hall was. Her name was Maisry, who'd had the sight since she was born, Jamie says. Quote, but she wouldn't tell him anything. It was clear enough she knows something, but she do not but shake her head and say she couldn't see, unquote. And then Lovett got impatient and hit her. She sees that Jamie has a large bruise on his torso, which he explains away as young Simon giving him a lesson in respect. This scene is so dear, him telling Claire that he'll always want to show off for her. 
Then he gives the analogy of a pack of dogs, each of whom knows his place in the pack and who the leader is. But it also took three people to hold him still while he yes, punched that him. that is true. Which means, well, yeah. They're there for two more weeks. Claire sees very little of Jamie. He's spending his days with his grandfather. And Claire is getting to know Francis. After two weeks there, Jamie comes to get Claire because Lovett wants to see her. Lovett again asks Jamie about the troops. And Claire is doing her best not to fall asleep. Then he asks Jamie what he thinks. Claire compares this dark, dingy atmosphere with the open, sunny kirkyard in which Colm had asked Jamie the same question. Jamie says he's already given his opinion, but Lovett says he wants the truth now. He asks Jamie if he doesn't owe him his fealty, if the blood in his veins isn't Fraser. Jamie replies, quote, My mother was a Mackenzie. I know that much. Unquote. Old Simon virtually dies laughing over this. He pulls out his false teeth drops them onto a cake plate. <laughs> the next lines are hilarious. Old Simon speaking to Jamie, laughing and lisping. And I hope they keep the laughing and lisping and the teeth in there. That's just like so comedic. It's just so have not necessary. Have they announced who they cast as Old Simon? Old Simon? I don't know if they've announced it. We may have seen someone, but I don't honestly don't know. He asks Jamie if he knew that he'd tried to stop his parents' marriage by saying that Ellen's child wasn't Brian's. Jamie knew. Claire couldn't stop staring at the false teeth. No, uh, rightly so. I, I know. I would Especially be on like, a cake plate. Uh, you know, <laughs> I I remember going to my grandparents' house. Okay, be nice. Growing up, be and nice. I'm being nice. I and it was this is my throat. And it was never that they were sitting out, but I had like an obsession with like anytime you'd go to the bathroom and you'd see like the little denture case on the counter. I never opened it, but I always would walk in and just stare at the case. So I can, I can imagine if they were just teeth just sitting out that I would probably stare at those as well. Though I would also want to stare at his mouth that was now empty. That would be distracting as well. So Claire could not stop staring at the false teeth. Now, Jamie hadn't actually given his word to anyone, Dougal or Charles. Throughout this chapter, Diana has used the metaphor of a cat when describing Old Simon. And that is something she's used for, I think it's a Fraser thing, right? Because she's oh, used yeah. it for Jamie cat eyes. all the time. Yeah. Quote, the twitching tail was less visible, but still there. I could almost hear the thoughts in his head gliding round on padded feet. Unquote. If he could get Jamie to swear to him rather than Charles, he'd be more powerful and he'd be able to count Lallybrach as his. Jamie says that this will keep him from swearing to love it, who says he should have known that Brian would sire nothing but fools from that harlot, <laughs> meaning Ellen, of course. Jamie hands him his false teeth and says to put them back in. Lovett says, quote, will you understand a, a bargain, your oath for your wife's honor, unquote. Basically, he's talking gang rape. Quote, how many men are there in Beaufort, Jamie? How many who'd be of a mind to put your Sassanac ones to the only use she's good for? You cannot guard her night and day, unquote. Oh boy. Jamie then pulls out the card he saves until he needs it. The witch card. Quote, I think I need no worry, grandsire, for my wife's, my wife's, for my wife's a rare woman, a wise woman, a white lady like Dame Alicet, unquote. The last name shocked old Simon. Quote, his head jerked around to stare at me, eyes sprung wide with shocked alarm. Unquote. Jamie continues, 
quote, the man that takes her in unholy embrace will have his privates blasted like a frostbitten apple and his soul will burn forever in hell. That's incredibly specific. Unquote. Actually, the unquote comes before summer. <laughs> then he takes the false teeth and throws them into the fire. Quote, like this, he says. Lisa T. writes, So Claire is sexually threatened again by the men of Beulie. This in sharp contrast to the Mackenzies and Dougal saying that, quote, he doesn't hold with rape, unquote. The old fox is somehow deeply disturbing and quite humorous at the same time. Susan M. writes, I just absolutely love the false teeth scene. I really hope they do this in the show. But if they could show Sam flinging some false teeth into a fire, that would be awesome. Also love how Jamie tells his grandfather that Claire's a white lady, an image his grandfather recognizes immediately. They use that name for her a lot. It's always so effective. She really does go by lots of names throughout the story. Witch, white lady, healer, conjure woman, doctor, physician, surgeon. And that was chapter 40. So now we will be moving on to chapter 41, The Seer's Curse. And this, I think this chapter is one of my favorites, just for the, just for the conversations that happen inside of at the, the dinner table conversations, I should say, are my favorite. Diana does good dinner table conversations. They're all inappropriate. Like, oh, well, yeah. Like if I funny. was at dinner and that was the conversation at dinner, I'd be like, dude, I'm trying to eat. However, because I'm not trying to eat at this dinner, I think they're hilarious. hilarious. Okay, so for this chapter, The Seer's Curse, the curse of the title can be seen to apply to the seer in the chapter as well as to Claire, of course. Lisa T. writes, This is a fascinating chapter. It juxtaposes Claire and Maisry's knowledge of the future and the futility of that knowledge. Claire has knowledge of the future because she comes from it. Maisry's gift of sight allows her to see the future. Most lowland Scots, Diana tells us, have become Presbyterians, but many Highlanders had remained Catholic, the Frasers with their ties to Catholic France especially. Bewley Priory was still a burying place of the Lovets. Claire found it peaceful and would walk around there sometimes. She felt she was probably pretty safe there among the dead. One day while walking there, she runs into the tall woman she'd seen before, Misery the Seer. Claire describes her face as slightly asymmetrical, like a Modigliani painting, long black hair streaked with white, though she was still young. So she definitely looked the part of a seer. Now, I looked up Modigliani and uh, found out a little bit about him. We'll include a link to this as well. Amadeo Clemente Modigliani was an Italian painter and sculptor who worked mainly in France. He is known for portraits and nudes in a modern style characterized by elongation of faces and figures that were not received well during his lifetime, but later found acceptance. Modigliani spent his youth in Italy, where he studied the art of antiquity and the Renaissance until he moved to Paris in 1906. Maisry confirms that she has the sight, and Claire realizes that she doesn't mind read, but she does read faces. Claire's got a glass face, as we know, and it is sleeting outside. It is pretty chilly. Maisry says to Claire that others say she's a white lady. Claire confirms that, yes, they do say that. Now, Claire does not say, yes, I am. She says, yes, they do say that. Who does that or what does that remind you of? They say that. They say that. They say that I am. Not ring any bells? Okay. Jesus in the Bible. When people say to him... Can, can we just stop for a second and acknowledge the fact that you're trying to make me recall things from the Bible when I am not remotely... Bibleicious? Bible-worthy? I don't know. I don't... Uh, I am not well-versed in Bible. I'm not that well-versed. I don't, I don't speak Bible. You don't speak you, Bible? You are the... 
the woman with the rooms upstairs and the five Pentecost whatever oh. thing. I, I the, am oh my not, gosh, Diana question. Yeah, I am. I am not biblical at all. <laughs> well, um, uh-huh. I mean, I've been known in a biblical sense, but I do not read the Bible. Let's carry on. So anyway, that reminded me of, of, I almost said the line. Yeah. Like there's lines in the Bible of the part or the reading or the happening where people ask him, are you the son of God or are you the Lord? Are you the Lord, our God or something like that? And he say, he say, he say, Jesus say, no. And he says, you say that I am. So that's just what it reminded me of. I'm not saying Claire is Jesus. No, but I like that you said it 40 times to me while I'm looking oh. at you going, no. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. means nothing to me. But you said it like four different ways, too. They say that I am. They say that I am. Say that I am. They say that I so am. So Claire wonders at Maisery's feet being cold because it's sleeting outside and she's got like only socks and sandals on, basically. And Claire's freezing in whatever she has on. That is so not cool to wear socks with sandals. Cool? Oh, we're not talking about cool girls. 18th century. If I saw a guy wearing socks and sandals, you I would, would not. You wouldn't talk go to biblical him. on him. No. Okay, so I'm glad we got that straight there for the listeners. Claire wonders at Maisry's feet being cold. Is it because she's Scottish? I wonder, or, or Claire wonders, or does being a seer come with some magical warm feet powers? <laughs> Maisry says she comes here to the Priory to think. She says she wants to know why. She can see what will happen when there's nothing she can do to stop or change it. What's the good of a gift like that? It's a curse, she says. Maybe she has the sight or the power only because it's necessary to someone else and it has nothing to do with the person with the sight except that you're the one that has it and has to suffer the having of it. Misery thinks it might be a curse of the Fraser's for her to know their death ahead of time. She asks Claire if she thinks she should tell Lovett of his death. She says that the only true power she has is the power not to say. She says there's always the chance of her saying would make a difference. She says it has now and then. She tells Claire of an example of Lachlan Gibbons, whose son-in-law she'd seen wrapped in seaweed eels beneath his shirt. Lachlan had listened, and in the end, his son-in-law was safe. The seaweed was gone from him the next time she saw him. But sometimes it can't change. She says she sees people wrapped in their winding sheet, and then illness follows, and there's nothing she can do then. Claire wonders if without knowledge, medicine, instruments, that illness would be fate. But if a healer was near and had things with which to heal, they could effect change. Claire asks Maisry, quote, If you have knowledge and it may prevent harm, do you think it could cause harm? Unquote. Maisry doesn't know. She says sometimes there's something looming and she can just avoid it.
But when Lovett had asked her to look and say a divining spell to make the vision come clear, she couldn't avoid it. Her prophecy? Quote, he was standing there before the fire, but it was daylight and clear to see. A man stood behind him, still as a tree, and his face covered in black, and across his lordship's face there fell the shadow of an axe. Unquote. Lisa T. writes, Knowing that Lord Lovett is an actual historical character, and knowing that he was beheaded with an axe, this scene blends both Mesri's gift of the sight and an historical perspective, similar to that of Claire's from the future. She makes up her mind to tell him then. Just before Mesri leaves, Claire asks her, What do you see? Quote, she stared at me hard, above and below, behind and beside. She says, I see naught but you, lady, there's only you. Unquote. There is only her, and she was not enough. They spend another few weeks there. They're still at Beaufort. Old Simon is taking his time deciding what to do. Young Simon is champing at the bit to go to war already. Old Simon is saying, maybe they'll wait till spring. Young Simon offers to go for him. The old fox says, regarding his son's impatience, quote, Mary in haste, repent at leisure, and it's more true when choosing a laird than a lass. A woman can be got rid of. Unquote. Hmm. Young Simon was looking at Jamie for support. Over the time they'd been here, there, so about two months now, he'd come to respect Jamie for his knowledge of war. Old Simon won't be rushed, however. He's given his word of honor to the Stuarts, and he says he'll take his time. Claire tells him he doesn't look well. She asks him what his symptoms are, besides no appetite and not drinking. He says he doesn't drink because he can't piss, and he doesn't rest because he gets up many times each night to pee, but can't. Claire says it could be an infection, but it sounds like prostatitis. Then she drinks some wine. I would like Smoothly to rinse that word out of my mouth as well. Prostatitis. <laughs> uh. She explains using her hands and fingers what the prostate is and how its swelling can constrict the urethra. She says that other than surgery, the only thing that can be done is insert a metal rod through the penis into the bladder and force it not, open. No, 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 not through the penis. Yes, through no uh, the urethra. Through the penis in is a visual of like through the penis as opposed to up the urethra. Into the bladder and force it open or massage the prostate through the rectum. Jamie is choking next to her and people are looking at her in disgust and horror. Lovett looks at her hands and says, quote, You've lovely hands, my dear. Prettily kept and such long, white, slender fingers, I Unquote. Jamie puts an end to this talk and says if he needs such attentions, he'll see to it himself. And he makes a point to spread his very large hands on the table. <laughs> Simon says, no bother. He gets up to leave, and as he does, eyes one of the maidservants. We know who'll be doing that job. Not me. The next scene is a new day, and Simon is dictating a letter, explaining whom and what he is sending in his stead to the prince. Claire describes the scene in his bedroom as, quote, Old Simon had done it up brown, unquote. And I, I have never picked up on that in any of my reading or listenings. So I looked it up and it means, quote, to do something just right or with great effect. <laughs> she thinks that this was done to help convince young Simon of his father's decrepitude 
when he met with Charles. So he's basically putting on a show. He's definitely has an illness of some type of some or uh, uh, something that is affecting his bladder, his urethra, his, his ability to pee. It is affecting his health. But she's describing his setup in bed with all these like medical like jars around him. He looks to make him look like he's in a sick bed, basically. And that's what he does at Brown. And uh, it's to convince Simon so that when young Simon goes to Charles, he can relay the fact that, yes, indeed, my father's laid up in bed and he's yeah. really sick. So later that night, Jamie tells Claire that he thinks she's given him what he was looking for, an excuse not to leave, a way to walk both sides. He keeps to bed with illness convincing he can't be blamed for not appearing before charles if he sends his heir to fight he'll be credited with keeping his promise if everything goes sideways simon can claim to the english that he didn't intend to give any aid and his son went on his own mm. in mid-december they leave Bewley to join charles the prince had gone into england but at derby they turned around and headed north they were now to return to edinburgh the plan was for them to leave the party at Comar, with the excuse that Jamie was escorting Claire to Lallybroch to leave her there. He didn't intend to return, but young Simon didn't know this. There were only 170 men, and not the 200 promised. We find out that Donus had been left in Edinburgh since the prince wanted to write him on public occasions. There was some commotion, an argument between Jamie and young Simon's clerk, Jamie ended up ripping up a parchment and placing the pieces in his sporran. Old Simon had listed the names of Jamie's men on his rolls. He did this not just to look like he'd given more men to Charles, but also because, again, he wants Jamie's lands back. And so something happens, and if he is saying that these are the men that I gave, look, it's proof that those men were mine to send, which means that was my land. Lisa T. writes, quote, listed the names of my men on his own rolls, unquote, Jamie said, quote, claimed them as part of his Fraser residence, mozzy old poutworm. He glanced back up the track with longing. Pity we've come such a way. It's too far to go back and proddle the old mumper. I that. Make himself look better at no cost. But not only that, the wretched old nettercap wants my land back. He has ever since he was forced to give it up when my parents wed. Now he thinks if it all comes right and he's made Duke of Inverness, he can claim Lallybroch has been his all along, and me just his tenant, the proof being that he's raised men from the estate to answer to Stuart's call to the clans. Unquote. This is significant, Lisa T. writes, because we know that Jamie was listed in the historical record as an officer of Lovett's regiment. They get back to Lallybroch within a week, rather than the two days it normally would take in good weather. Murtaugh was in Edinburgh with young Simon, and they are greeted by family and the smell of good food. But when Ian asks if they brought any of the men back, this is when Jamie realizes that his men didn't arrive. Outside, Myrta is just arriving from Edinburgh. And as Claire says, it doesn't take Masary's gift of sight to tell them that he had bad news. Well, the, and he wrote, he was writing like lightning, like he explained in the yeah. previous chapter. Myrta doesn't look like a very good writer. Oh, he's a pretty good writer. And now we see. So that wraps up this double chaptered read along discussion. And uh, yeah, well, I think we, I think from here on out, we're going to have a minimum of two chapters. Oh, Lord. Because we have two. We don't have that much time, girl. It's all good. 
So, but it feels like it's so much time. It feels like it April that, is so far away. Oh my God, no. It, mm, I mean, I know it's going to fly. It's not. Well, it's like the it's beginning of April, basically. That's why it is freaky. So thank you, as always, so much for listening. We are so excited for April 9th and everything else that's coming. And then, of course, to have no lives for the next four months after that. Right, Sam? Right. That's right. So thank you, as always, so much for listening. We look forward to our next episode. Thank you to our generous audio host, Audioboom.com. Our Audioboom channel is www.audioboom.com slash channel slash OutlanderPod. Visit our website at www.outlanderpod.com. Follow us on Twitter at OutlanderPod. Find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash outlanderpod or email us at outlanderpod at gmail.com